Sitting at my desk here in Shanghai, I can hear my wife pottering in the other room. It's almost time for dinner, and I have to cook. Totally lacking the skills of culinary mages of the past, I'll be opening the electric chi of the cooker, inhaling the chi flavor of the ingredients as I cook, and eventually, when I mess it up, I'll be giving birth to chi. My wife has a face in her hands right now, but this time it's not because I've burnt the food again. This time it's because she thinks I sound ridiculous, and so do I. Hearing myself say those sentences in English makes me want to laugh. Yet that is literally how about a billion and a half people speak on a daily basis. In Chinese, it makes sense. But translate it literally into English, and it sounds a bit silly. If you asked many of these billion and a half people whether their worldview includes the use of Chinese medicine, feng shui, or qigong, they might say no, claiming allegiance instead to a worldview rooted in European Enlightenment era thinking. Yet, if you asked the very same disbelievers whether they believed in qi or not. The question would make no sense at all. In the Chinese language, the word qi is ubiquitous. You can't talk about life from elements of the periodic table to the weather without using the character qi. In Chinese, it's impossible not to believe in qi. In English, however, insert the word qi into a sentence, and bingo. You've immediately scored some esoteric and mystical points from some people, but in doing so, you've invariably put other people off, making them think you're either totally bonkers or simply that you're demonstrating your allegiance to a particular worldview rooted in Bronze Age China. The term "qi" for many people has become an easy catch-all in the English language. A box where you can throw the products of your wildest imagination, or ignorance, or sometimes your insight, but inside of which you're protected by unquestioning belief or uninquisitive disbelief. To the believers that there is no anatomical substance that can be identified as qi per se, doesn't shake their belief. To the disbelievers. The word qi is associated with a lot of nonsense, like fake qigong masters running cults, emitting imaginary qi blasts that suspiciously only seem to knock down faithful students and have no effect on disbelievers. The dichotomy between unquestioning belief and uninquisitive disbelief is an approach full of problems. It doesn't help us to understand the world. Hiding behind allegiance to particular worldviews tends to lend itself to yet more problems rather than real-life solutions. But like ghosts or aliens, scientists can't find chi. I hear many friends echo a voice inside of me say a very similar thing. This is a problem, but as we'll explore in this episode. This is not a problem about colliding worldviews. Rather, this is a problem about colliding languages. But like ghosts or aliens, scientists can't find chi. 
This is a sentence that simply does not work in the Chinese language. And this is where the thread of our investigation must begin. Why exactly doesn't it work in Chinese? And what is this qi stuff we keep on hearing about exactly? It was spelled K-apostrophe-I for some strange reason. In the mid-19th century, when Mr. Thomas Wade and Mr. Herbert Giles designed their Wade-Giles system of transliteration for Chinese, when they romanized Mandarin, qi was spelt C-H-apostrophe-I. And thus, for many people, it became C-H-I in common use which is very confusing because C-H-I in Mandarin is pronounced ch, 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 or ch, depending on the tone or lack of it, which is a very different pronunciation and a very different word from qi. Fast forward another hundred years, when in the mid-20th century, the People's Republic of China adopted the pinyin system of Chinese transliteration that remains to this day and in which qi is spelt qi, pronounced with a fourth tone in Mandarin, a falling tone that sounds a little bit like you're saying it whilst putting your foot down, qi. That's how the Chinese spell their own language. That's how it's used by about one and a half billion people, and that's how it's been written in the academic world for the better part of the last century or so. So please, if you learn anything today, learn to use that spelling, Q-I. C-H-I, on the other hand, means something totally different in Mandarin, like the verb to eat, for example. Despite the length of time that the word qi has existed in the English language, so much ambiguity about the meaning and function of this phenomenon still prevails, and the misuse of this term is everywhere. This has led to the idea that qi is a separate phenomenon within the world as it's defined by the English language, a separate thing that can be neatly inserted into the English language and sit there happily and without causing trouble alongside other words like pen, for example, or book, or ghost, or god, or aliens, and be believed in or not. This haphazard insertion of the word qi into the English language has led to it being treated as necessarily a psychic energy or a magical power, rather than merely one way of looking at and expressing nature's endless variety, i.e. a different division of the very same world that we all inhabit, whether we like it or not. The very same reality modern science has attempted to define and is working in. This world, not some other spiritual world. Unfortunately, quite a few charlatans have jumped onto the qi bandwagon, cashing in on misunderstanding of the word and use this concept to mislead people with faith healing and, in the martial arts, no-touch knockouts. This has then fed back into society, creating a new phenomenon of psychic energy in the social discourse, 
that remains quite distinct from the original, fairly mundane concept of chi. The hilarious YouTube channel Dojo Life that chronicles phonies and charlatans in the martial arts is full of videos of martial arts instructors misleading their students with talk of chi. Yet, when we look at the original linguistic context of the word, it's possible for down-to-earth critical thinkers to appreciate the meaning of chi without referencing magical powers. So, what about in China? What does the word qi mean here? Well, the first thing to recognize is that qi is an ideograph, a character that possesses meaning made up of individual parts that, often with one other character, make up a word. Qi is therefore almost always one part of a two-character word. Its meaning must therefore not be considered in isolation, but rather as part of the words it lends itself to and as part of the language as a whole. The earliest known use in China of the character qi has been found on oracle bone scripts, bones used for divination, dating back to the Shang dynasty, which is dated 1600 to 1046 BCE. So, a very long time ago. The concept of qi has thus been part of the Chinese language and culture since the early Bronze Age, and it's been a cornerstone of almost all branches of traditional Chinese culture, from philosophy to medicine, martial arts to geomancy, for thousands of years. So to appreciate the meaning of this word, we need to first recognize that it's a loan word from Chinese, with thousands of years of use. It's not an English word at all. The character qi is so widely used in Chinese as part of other words that it's impossible to disentangle it from its original linguistic context. For example, tian qi, sky qi, means weather. Kong qi, empty qi, means air. Feng qi, wind qi, means atmosphere or general mood. Qi zi, qi nature, means temperament. Shen qi, spirit qi, means lofty or impressive. He qi, peaceful or gentle qi, means friendly. Dian qi, electric qi, means electricity. Qi ti, qi substance or qi body means gas, and thus the list goes on. Earlier, when I made dinner, I smelled the qi wei, the qi flavour or fragrance of the food, but it smelt burnt, so I gave birth to qi, sheng qi, which means I got angry. From this perspective, we can see that the character qi is not necessarily indicative of another separate phenomenon in the universe that scientists just cannot find, but rather illustrative of a way of expressing a number of different connected processes that occur naturally. As we'll look at deeper later, there are many different types of qi. Perhaps that's another good reason why, to Chinese speakers, it might sound a little bit silly to talk about qi without mentioning what type of qi exactly you're talking about.
In the second episode of this two-part What on Earth is Qi series, we'll look at many different types of Qi in Chinese medicine. Looking at the different types of Qi forces the English-speaking mind through an existential process of redefining the world along the lines of a very different vernacular. Perhaps since the ideas of the philosopher Wittgenstein entered popular culture, we can see that language doesn't necessarily describe reality in and of itself, as a mirror would dispassionately reflect an object, but rather defines or creates an impression of reality that reflects the language used to refer to it. An easy example to use here that you might all be familiar with is that of the indigenous people of the Arctic having so many different words for white because their world is, or sadly used to be, covered in snow all year round. Those people indigenous to the Arctic divided their world with language into so many different shades of white, shades that somebody like me, who didn't grow up surrounded by snow, would just call white and be done with it. I really love what the American linguist Benjamin Lee Worf has to say about this. From his book, Language, Thought and Reality, Selected Writings by Benjamin Lee Worf. It reads, Segmentation of nature is an aspect of grammar, one as yet little studied by grammarians. We cut up and organise the spread and flow of events, as we do, largely because, through our mother tongue, we are parties to an agreement to do so. Not because nature itself is segmented in exactly that way for all to see. Languages differ not only in how they build their sentences, but also in how they break down nature to secure elements to put in those sentences. This breakdown gives units of the lexicon. Word is not a very good word for them. Lexeme has been suggested, and term will do for the present. By these more or less distinct terms, we ascribe a semi-fictitious isolation to parts of experience. English terms like sky, hill, swamp persuade us to regard some elusive aspect of nature's endless variety as a distinct thing, almost like a table or chair. Thus, English and similar tongues lead us to think of the universe as a collection of rather distinct objects and events corresponding to words. Indeed, this is the implicit picture of classical physics and astronomy, that the universe is essentially a collection of detached objects of different sizes. So, for the non-Chinese speaker, looking at the world defined by her or his language for this thing called qi, of course forces them into a paradigm of belief or disbelief. I want to propose an alternative, that being an invitation for us to step out of the linguistically defined boundaries of reality that have been prescribed to us since infancy, to live Picasso's dream, to see the world as if for the first time. This existential leap is imperative 
because to say that the divisions of nature's endless variety that a mind accustomed to Chinese grammar and vocabulary has brought into existence, to say that these divisions of that world can be neatly fitted into the divisions brought into existence through the use of English grammar and vocab is quite absurd. Each language divides the world along different lines, and therefore, if, as non-Chinese speakers, we are to understand the varieties of qi, we must be at least willing to temporarily suspend our own linguistic model of reality, so as to avoid the absurdity of trying to reconcile both at the same time. It's my belief that once we do that for a moment or two, we can then reconcile both models. Like I said, this isn't a conflict of worldviews so much as merely a conflict of linguistics. So this is therefore an invitation to listen to a story, if you like. A foreign story, but a universal story. And in that story, to see the primal threads that weave your own story. The story begins with the character itself. Briefly put, there are roughly four different ideographs or characters that mean qi. The principle of these four characters is comprised of two parts. A radical indicating the meaning, and in this case its pronunciation, qi, which means cloudy vapours or air, along with the ideograph mi, meaning rice, but with the semantic function of indicating steam. To this extent, we can see that qi has the nature of air, steam, or vapour. Remember that qi ti, or qi substance, or qi body, in Chinese means a gas, as opposed to a liquid or a solid. In Chinese medical theory, the qi of the body can be subdivided into prenatal qi, that which we're born with, and postnatal qi, that which we make after birth. Postnatal qi is derived from a combination of the air we breathe and the food and water that we eat and drink. Breaking down the character qi into air and rice illustrates this appreciation of postnatal qi. Furthermore, if we want to delve a little bit deeper into Chinese philosophy, we can see the yin-yang nature of qi in general as both material, yin on the one hand, and functional, yang on the other hand rice and air, which reminds me of another form of energy that needs no introduction, known as both particles and waves. Another one of the four characters that mean qi is comprised of the radical for fire underneath a morphed version of the ideograph wu, meaning not to have, or a lack of, or simply nothingness. Fire under nothingness. According to traditional Chinese cosmology, the universe originated from a state free from extremes, a state called Wu Ji, a state of nothingness, a state described as chaos qi, hun dun qi. Despite being nothingness, this state of chaos qi was alive with something called source qi, yuan qi. From this state originated a polarity, or a potentiality. The extremes of yin and yang were stirred by source qi out of chaos qi. Yin and yang 
a positive and a negative charge, thus created the potential or the potentiality for all transformations out of source chi. Metaphorically, we can think of the chi of the universe as a fire stirring nothingness into action. Gaseous clouds condensed to form planets and suns, or the chi of the heavens, meteorological forces, and the earth, geological forces. In the environment of these natural meteorological and geological forces, between the heavens and the earth, evolved womankind to exist on the earth and under the sky. Thus, human chi exists between heaven chi and earth chi. Well, saying that might sound a little bit like another one of those statements that displays allegiance to a particular worldview, but in fact, it's merely another way of saying a simple fact that from a chaotic state, positive and negatively charged particles were stirred into action in an environment of great heat to form the elements of the periodic table that make up the solid, liquid and gaseous environment that gave birth to humanity. This reminds us of a quote from The Plain Questions, a classic of Chinese medicine written sometime during the Warring States period, which was a period that lasted from 475 to 221 BCE. In The Plain Questions it says, When the chi of heaven and earth combine, it forms human life. Looking in this way at chi in a general sense, everything in the universe consists of chi. Chi, in the general sense, is thus synonymous with the English word energy. Everything in the universe is comprised of different forms of energy. And just as kinetic energy is different from emotional energy, electricity is different from light. If you want to talk accurately about energy, it's often important to mention which type of energy you mean. Nevertheless, in a very general sense, we can talk about just energy. Matter is merely condensed energy, or qi. This idea is called qi monism, and from this perspective, we can see how all things are interrelated in a dynamic interplay of transformation from one state of energy to another. When a large amount of qi is condensed into a small part of space-time, material substances of the periodic table are observed. When qi is dispersed or released from elements that comprise the substances of the universe, it is sped up and observed as light or heat. Qi is therefore both substantial and insubstantial, yin and yang, particle and wave. What? You can't do that. You've just performed a magic trick, like a stage magician taking a boring old rusty penny for all to see and, with a little sleight of hand, swapping it under the table for something fantastical without us even knowing. I've taken the weather, gas and electricity, things that any sane person couldn't possibly question, and swapped them for psychic energy. Nice one but it doesn't fly. Yet, for better or for worse, like it or not, that's where our story necessarily begins. It begins in the Chinese language. The language from which the word qi comes from is often structured more in a suggestive rather than an explicitly declarative way. 
The Chinese language is pervaded with the character qi, and its meaning is clear as the sum of all of those words it occurs in and the relationship between them. This perhaps reflects the tendency in Chinese philosophy to analyse processes and interrelationships rather than independent substances, as is the tendency in Western thinking and language. You might have heard of the five elements of Chinese philosophy. Earth, metal, water, wood and fire. You might not have heard that in Chinese they're not elements at all. The word element, yuan su, is a different word. Rather, these are five xing in Chinese, or phases. You put the same character xing next to the character for person, ren, and you have the word xing ren, pedestrian, a person who xing or walks. How odd in Chinese is it to translate the character xing as element, and yet... How odd, in English, is it to talk of water or metal as phases rather than substances or elements? Chinese-based thinking tends to holism. European-based thinking tends to atomism. Yet, perhaps one single 21st century human being like you or I has enough imagination to be capable of experiencing both simultaneously. In the next episode, We'll continue to look at the phenomenon of qi by having a look at the many different types of qi as they relate to the human body and start to sharpen a picture of classical Chinese physiology that we might be able to relate to in the 21st century. If you liked this content, make sure you hit the subscribe button to hear more from Critical Mind Embodied Spirit. See you in the next show.